Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. Today is a good old-fashioned Q&A episode. I don't even remember the last time I did one of these, but I feel the urge to do one, and it feels so good to be talking with you. It's kind of like having a little chit-chat with you, answering all the questions that I have been given through Instagram. If you aren't following me there and you want to find me, I'm at Bella Lively World right now. So not Jesse Lively anymore. It's Bella Lively World. And it's kind of fun because it's got Bella Lively and a lively world all in the same username. So if you want to find me over there, this is where whenever I feel the urge to do a Q&A episode, I often ask for DMs. And so I have many to go through. I'm going to go through as many as I can, but I just want to say up front, I'm sure there's too many for me to go through overall. So we're just going to start where we are and see how far we can get through them in about an hour long episode. In addition to this, I'm also very excited to be doing something else that is a little bit of a new and throwback all at the same time. I'm excited to be doing a new class. This is kind of a classic type of class that you may remember if I over the years, if you've been a longtime follower, there's life with intention, there's flow with intention, magic, not manual, lots of three to four week classes that I used to host over the years. And now I have my newest one. This is a listener request. I was so excited by the idea of it. It's called Empowered. I-N-P-O-W-E-R-E-D. Empowered. Instead of M-powered, E-M powered. This is empowered. And this is the suggestion was, drumroll please, catching and releasing and liberating ourselves from our victim stories. I've been mentioning this in the beauty of life to Jennifer and Danielle because it has been so eye-opening in my own reality, working with my own inner voice in my own personal life to see the power of the transformation that happens when I drop my victim story. I can't even say this enough. So huge. So, so, so huge. And it has been so liberating. And everyone has been very excited, I can tell, through the listeners that have been listening to those episodes, realizing the power in their own lives of catching and releasing and liberating themselves from their own. Literally, the victim story has to be released from within the individual. It can't be done because someone bops you over the head and says, hey, you're not a victim anymore. You don't have to be. You have to do it within yourself. It's an inner journey to get out of the pendulum swing between victim and victimizer to liberation, to in empowerment, empowerment, leaving that connection back into our inner voice, into all of the potentials available to us, not needing to take advantage or be taken advantage of by anyone else. So it is so transformational. Like I said, I'm just so excited. And I can just tell so many people are also very excited. I decided for this class, that is the focus to catch and release the victim story. As a group, we're going to spend 21 days, three weeks together doing this exact process of releasing and catching those stories and just being around in a group, just inspired to do so and find that gift that we can only give ourselves, which is the freedom from a story that makes us feel less empowered than we actually are. So just so excited. If you want to join us, by all means, go over to bellalively.com slash empowered, I-N-P-O-W-E-R-E-D, empowered. And I'm so excited to work with you if your intuition feels it's a fit. It is going to be starting on May 24th. It'll be on Wednesdays. So the 24th, May 31st, and June 7th. Those are the three dates that we'll be having this course. So it's going to be classic. You know, if you've missed or you haven't done a class with us in a long time, or maybe you've never done one of these group classes, it is so much fun to be with the group. 
there'll also be a private community for those that are in Empowered to chat and share with each other their stories throughout the journey as well over in a lively world. And I'm just so excited to help us all do our best to liberate ourselves from these traps we've put ourselves in and also catch all of the stories as they come up through those two weeks, especially together and help anybody that can catch their catching that they're stuck in the story, but doesn't know how to release that story in themselves. I'm so excited to just do those hot seats like I normally do. I'm just thrilled. So like I said, if you want to find out more information or join us, bellalively.com slash empowered is where to go to join. All right, now let's get into the questions. We're going to start with WTS.inspired who said, hi, Bella, I'm in a bit of a cocoon phase right now and getting better at releasing emotions or seeing them as the mind versus trying to get out of the discomfort of the cocoon. Have you had similar feelings of discomfort? And if so, what have you done to align and pass the time? So for those that are listening and very new to this, we kind of have our own sort of language of things in our community, a lively world. So I just want to say for cocoon, if you're in like, what is a cocoon phase? A cocoon phase is my nickname for the time that I personally also experienced myself along with WTS. Um, This was for me three maybe four, depending on how I want to define it, years of my life in my journey, releasing beanbags, emotional beanbags, emotional blocks and and reactions to things of all kinds. It was a very heavy period of time for me. I even did a class because I noticed after IVFT, a lot of people were going into the similar phase and it's nothing to be scared of. I will say that first, if you're in a phase of cocoon right now, heavily releasing a lot of old gunk in the trunk, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not the end of the world and it's not a permanent place you have to be the rest of your life. So happily, I can say I remember it very completely, but at the same time, it's not an active part of my life now. It was for a few years, though, it truly was heavily in that phase, so lots of compassion for WTS, but at the same time, I'm also very excited for her and wanna say, just keep going and be gentle with yourself. So yes, when it comes to aligning and passing the time as you're going through this kind of realization in your inner voice is helping you to look at everything you need to let go of. Because really, the cocoon phase is a very deep phase where your awareness is aware enough to start releasing a lot of limiting beliefs, stories, and emotions connected to your reality that are keeping you far more trapped than you actually need to be. At the end of the day, that's all it is. But to the mind, it has to go through all of that releasing and and letting go and seeing through and breathing through all those old stuck emotions. It can feel quite heavy doing all of that releasing. It's like asking the shoe that's getting cleaned at the shoe shine. What is it like to go through the shoe shine? <laughs> it's like, well, it's pretty intense. They're rubbing me in all these different places, and it's you know really just uncomfortable at times. But ultimately, is to clean the shoe. The shoe is clean before, and the shoe will be more clean after it's cleaned by the shoe shine person. Whoever, even if you're just cleaning your own shoes, but to the shoe itself, as it's being cleaned, it's probably like, wow, that wasn't the most comfortable thing to experience. But on the other side, less dirt will be on the shoe. It'll be a lot cleaner and easier to navigate in the world. Cleaner treads at the bottom of the the sole, etc. That's kind of what's going on for the you know, the mind in this case, in this reality. So aligning in those periods of discomfort is the best thing. And I would say this is kind of like, think of it as if you're going to give birth. And yes, you know, it's going to be a very intense, potentially experience of a lot of stretching and a lot of transition and a lot of, you know, intensity, let's say to the birthing process, if not downright actual pain. So with all of that said, you're going to go through that and there's nothing wrong with giving birth. Obviously, it's a beautiful phase that all of us have gone through. We've all 
been birthed. So uh, we go through it. And as the mother doing the birthing, it's like, make yourself as comfortable as you can be given the experience you're having. So it is a lot like that. Like make yourself, make your environment very comfortable, make your choices in terms of what you eat, how you move, how you, what you smell, all your physical senses is something that I would say definitely being kind and choosing the best and highest potentials for yourself is something I would say is really what I found the most comforting and aligning. So if you like chocolate, have chocolate. Obviously don't eat chocolate to the point of like feeling like you're going to be sick, but eat chocolate to the point where it's joyful and comforting to do so. Don't use it as anything that I would say of the physical senses as a compensation, but definitely as a comfort and a joy to have amidst this. If you love music, listen to the music you love. If you are traveling, go to places you love. Stay in and create the space that you're in to be very beautiful as much as you can in this space and time that you're in because the, you know, process of cleaning the shoe is going to happen at a certain page and place in consciousness, but making yourself and your environment as comfortable and cozy as possible is also something you can do. It doesn't have to be hardcore. You don't have to suffer through that in terms of the physical five senses. Make your place a home. Make your sanctuary peaceful. Do the things you can do to give yourself that comfort of your surroundings. That's what I did at least. All right. Now we have Emily Gifford who asks, what are your thoughts or have you ever asked your inner voice if there are aliens or other beings in our universe? I haven't spent any time with my inner voice on the subject because I'm not that interested in the subject. Of course, if you are, by all means, talk to your inner voice about it. But as far as my thoughts, I definitely believe that there are, but I don't have a bigger story than that. I believe there are. I haven't talked to any personally inside my inner voice or outside in the physical form, but I bet there are. That's my feeling on the subject, but I don't have a big story or it's not a big part of my reality to to bring that in in a huge way. I'm more interested in talking to the entities on the other side of the veil and the non-physical than aliens in the physical that's not as interesting to me personally, but to other people, it's the reverse. So I just kind of got to go with your own sense of flow on that kind of stuff. Now we have Agatha who said, hi, Bella, I have a question about returning beanbags. I think I release one and then seemingly it comes back the next time I'm triggered. Thank you. Okay, so if a beanbag seems like it's coming back, I would ask yourself this. Is each time I'm triggered the same exact feeling in the same exact location in the same exact intensity happening? So if you get an email from your boss, is it always when your boss emails you that you're triggered or a different things happening and triggering a tennis ball of fear in your chest, for example. Is the tennis ball always triggered by the same thing? Or if the boss emails, sometimes you feel it in your chest, sometimes you feel it in your belly, sometimes you're upset and you can sense the beanbags in your head. If the beanbag's moving around, then there's a sense that, but you've got a similar trigger. Uh, the intensity, theoretically, if you're doing the beanbagging well, should be getting lighter and easier. And it shouldn't be the same spot in the same location with the same intensity. If you're not getting any relief and it's the exact same spot, the exact same emotion at exact same intensity all the time, then it's possible that you might not actually be releasing the beanbag fully in the moment, or there could be a past life thing that might be connected to that type of experience. And so in that sense, those are more, by the way, can I just say, when I bring up the idea of past lives, I don't want anybody that's brand new to the beanbagging thing to get too wrapped up in the idea of past lives being super relevant because it's first just figure out the beanbag stuff and do your best with everything that you've got. But if you're more advanced in the journey of this and you're getting really good and most of your beanbags go away completely and the intensity goes away completely, 
and you just keep getting liberation after liberation, but then a persistent pattern, even despite being really good at it most of the time, there's like one thread of trigger or emotion that doesn't go away, then what I would look into, is there a potential past life thing? Um, this is something I do with one-on-one clients. If they have really persistent uh beanbags or storylines that just don't go away. Oftentimes there is something, but those are usually coming through in the more advanced people. I say advanced, I'm just saying more comfortable with their inner voice and beanbagging. So the more comfortable and familiar you are with those kind of things and getting into your inner voice, the more clear you can be to understanding those other dimensions and how to help release those other aspects that might be affected and help liberate yourself in the process. But it's hard to say just by looking at the question, what specifically Agatha the situation might be for you personally. Okay, now we have Enrica Yoga, who's got many questions. Okay, this is a lot of questions. Let's go through them one at a time. For the Q&A, how did you let go of the desire for finding love and having a family after Atlas and live peacefully? My biggest unfulfilled desire is making money from what I love. And I feel at this point, I'm 40, I should just let go of the desire because it makes me miserable. Okay, so for the question here, because there's more to come, but for that question, how did I let go of the desire of finding love and having a family after the breakup and live peacefully? This actually goes back to empowered in a huge, huge way. So I still would have a preference theoretically, for finding love and having a family. But the family is a huge asterisk now. Before, it was always, I had this assumption that I would want to have a family. Growing up, I just, I think I deeply wanted that. And I believed that I deeply wanted that. Now, at my stage that I'm at and how I feel now, I don't have any stories that say that I have to have a children in my own birth canal. <laughs> like I don't actually have to birth children. I don't even have to adopt children. I don't actually have to have children in my as the mother of children. I could potentially see being an aunt, a stepmom, having children in my life in some way could be pleasurable, but only if it's pleasurable. There's no part of me now at 38, turning 39 that feels like I'm going to have less of a life if I don't have children in my direct immediate family unit, so to speak. And that also goes to the same for partner, which is shocking because who is this? This is Bella Lively speaking, certainly not Jess Lively. Jess Lively for six years was very open with you and I was very truthful in that place in my journey. I really felt <laughs> upset and compelled to have a family and a partner. And yeah, now I don't. I'm really peaceful about it. I'd have the preference for a partner. That's still there. But the children thing is way more chill. I just don't really care if there's children or not, or at least not right now. I think if I had a partner, then I would look at our dynamic and if it felt like the right fit for us. But I also could theoretically find a partner that already has children. And I think there's so much beauty in that potential because then I don't have to birth them and I don't have to start from scratch at 39 with that kind of process. So I just am really loose and easy about kids. Like there's no part of me that feels like I'll lack if I don't have it. A partner would be a preference, but only one that is a real and true partner that feels like a real and true fit on all levels in all ways. And if it doesn't feel like that, I just don't want to have a partner because I'm happy with myself. So how did I get to that? That's the class empowered actually is going to be a huge part of that because what I first found the victim story, the whole reason we're even having the class first came into my own personal life and awareness. When I realized the relationship breakup before Atlas, the guy before Atlas that I dated broke up, we, we ended, and I spent a lot of time inner voicing and using that experience to get the most understanding and wisdom possible out of the situation. I tried to use every facet of that scenario to my highest, wisest good. And my goodness, did I do a good job. 
<laughs> using it to my best and highest understanding and good. And what I got out of it is my inner voice said I was so upset because I was playing the victim. And that's when I first heard I was playing a victim in my own reality was after that breakup. And I realized looking at it with my inner voice that I had been playing a victim before the breakup. And then in the process of recovering, I guess, and like kind of readjusting after the breakup, I was being a victim and that's what it was showing me. And so I vowed to myself not to be a victim to a breakup ever again. And that I definitely think came into full force with the situation that I just had with Atlas uh, last year. I didn't play a victim after this situation ended. And obviously I don't go into the story because it's personal between both of us. And just like my family, uh, Atlas obviously falls in that kind of category of people that are not public figures. And I'm not trying to bring out too much detail that has to do with personal lives of other people. So I though can say that I just didn't play a victim. I didn't make it a problem. I didn't make my life suffer worse because that situation was no longer active in my life. I just realized I'm in charge of making myself thrive, whether I'm with a partner or not. And so I just thrived. <laughs> it was really liberating once I dropped my victim story. I have to say that's like a nice little homage to the, the class we're going to have is that it was life changing because every other time I was in dating scenarios for the six years I was single between my marriage and Atlas, all those other guys, I was a victim. And so I would suffer. And then after that, I was like, oh my God, I'm choosing to suffer. I don't have to choose that. And of course, I knew how to beanbag anything that came up. But yeah, it was it was huge. So you don't have to suffer, uh, Enrica Yoga, for the desire of making money with what you love. You don't have to suffer because of that. Whether you do or you don't, you don't have to suffer. Whether you make money or not from doing what you love, stop suffering. <laughs> stop being a victim to that. Being the only way you can be happy. And if it feels like a fit, of course, by all means, join us in the class, not that you need to, but that was really for me, the pivotal aha moment that sunk in so well. Now we have two more questions for her. She says, I'd love to know if you ever scream or get angry, upset. And if you say, if you say something unkind or rude to people, and if so, how do you deal with the aftermath of feeling like shit? I'm more interested in how is your inner state rather than what you do towards the person you've been very angry at? Yes, I have not. This is not my go-to reaction to things. But yes, I have been angry and upset in the past. And I have yelled at people or uh, myself even for that matter. And I have felt bad afterwards. And what I would say is beanbagging after you do it. So if you actually what happens is something happens, and it triggers you so much that you can't control and have enough awareness to separate yourself from the beanbag. Instead, the beanbag operates through you, the anger beanbag, and then you project that beanbag at someone else. So if you listen to me talk to anybody, especially in Beauty of Life, I'll say the mind will try to protect or project the beanbags if it's not in awareness and the mind isn't in awareness. It's within awareness, but the mind is not awareness. The mind isn't that aware. It's not awareness. Awareness has a mind. A mind is operated by awareness, but the mind itself is smaller than the awareness that you are. Your awareness can release beanbags. Your mind cannot. So when the mind has a beanbag and doesn't realize that's what's happening, it thinks that it is that beanbag. And that's when it goes and launches some big reaction at somebody else. So obviously the beanbag took over. It's still present even after the, the release of the person. The beanbag's still present. And actually then you feel bad about having done the thing that you did. And so if you can beanbag the anger that you felt from the blow up, whatever triggered that blow up at the person and beanbag that 
if you've done it well, you'll have so much compassion for how overwhelming that feeling was inside yourself and realize, gosh, you weren't able to control it. And how many other people have those same kind of feelings with far less awareness and aren't also able to control it. And it really diffuses the situation. It's huge. So I would say basically after I've had any of those experiences, I've beanbagged and it is enlightening because then you stop judging other people for yelling. It's not pleasant to have other people yell, but when you have ever personally yelled and then properly beanbagged the feeling that you had from what caused the yelling that you did, when you feel that feeling so overpoweringly, but in awareness and you dissolve it and you realize that other people with far less awareness are running around with those kinds of emotions or even greater beanbags than that, it's like, whoa, it is a very, very uh, liberating feeling of dropping judgment. It doesn't make it right that people do it. You just have compassion for why people do what they do. Just like if you've ever given birth and you hear some a mother giving birth scream and yell, you're like, oh my God, I have so much compassion. I know what that feels like. It's so overwhelming and intense. Of course she's screaming. There's no judgment that she's screaming. It's not like she's wrong for screaming. You're like, that is intense. When you have actually beanbagged what causes people to yell inside of yourself, it's so intense that it drops all the judgment and you just go, oh yeah, that's why doing it doesn't make it right that they're doing it. It just means you understand why they do it. It's huge. So that's my answer on that one. And then an unusual question, she said, I'm having a hard time trusting these female life coaches and spiritual guides, yoga teachers, which are full of Botox fillers, boob jobs, etc. I've been trying to hold the judgment back, which I do when it comes to regular people. I believe it's your body's choice. But when you come to the spiritual guides with very little real body left, I judge and I'm quite disgusted by their lack of coherence. Any suggestions on how to deal with it? I would say that obviously that's again, another beanbag. So the judgment that you're feeling towards them and putting them on this like double standard that regular people get to do whatever they want to their bodies, but these people can't, that's a judgment inside of yourself. And so I would look at that in inner voice with your inner voice about why this bothers you so much, because obviously it's, the fact that some people are allowed to do it in your mind, but other people aren't. And why is that true? And in her voice, why am I so upset by that? Why does it bother me so much what they do with their bodies? Why do I look at this and say that this is right or that is wrong? And in her voice, do you judge them for having this? And this would be a good one. In her voice, do you judge them for having the boob job? Or do you judge them for having fillers or Botox or whatever they have? And that's going to be a really, really interesting question to ask your inner voice. And you have to breathe out because if you got a big judgment on it and you're that your mind's hyper triggered by this, you're going to have to really, really exhale and really, really listen deeper than your mind. And if you get a no to your inner voice, not judging them, ask why not. Inner voice, why aren't you judging them? Why aren't you judging them? My mind is certainly judging them. They're preaching this thing and they're not following it, it seems like to me in the mind. Why aren't you? You're going to get so much insight and information that's going to really dissolve and hopefully untangle this. You'll know you've you've gotten to the bottom of it when you've untangled tangled the way your mind sees it versus the way your inner voice sees it. Even if your mind doesn't agree with how your inner voice sees it, knowing the difference between the two perceptions is going to be huge. Okay, now we have Tiffany Thomas who asks, yay, I hope this question is okay. Almost every time I use my inner voice, I get this feeling that it's fake, that everything is fake, that we all are just attaching our made up truth to things, but in a way of soothing the fact that no one knows anything. So I feel so conflicted when I do hear something from my inner voice. How do I find stability when nothing feels stable? This is a really hard place to be. If you're questioning even this peace inside of yourself, that is a really 
difficult place to find any stability, right? Because your mind is always up and down. But this inner voice, if it's the true inner voice, is not up and down. It's steady and peaceful and wise and compassionate at all times. So if you're not willing to trust that part of you that you're hearing inside of you and you're only trusting your mind and like its doubts and its concerns, it's a really difficult place to be. And I don't think you will be. I honestly don't think, I think it'd be almost insane to expect yourself to find stability when you're not willing to go into your inner peace. Because there's no peace on the outside. The outside, you might have a momentary stability of something being a little bit the same. But even like, I love flowers, as you guys might know. And I love rearranging flowers and everything. And I have these tulips staring in front of me. And they're beautiful. I got them on Thursday. I think I got them Thursday. They're still going strong, but they don't look the same as they did even on Thursday. And other flowers like my peonies, they change every single day. They're totally different every day for about six days. And then they're completely falling apart. Their colors change. They open and close. Like everything in this reality is changing. Even if we don't feel like the tulips change as fast as the, the peonies do, Uh, visually speaking, at least, they're all changing. Everything's changing. So for you to try to find stability when you're only looking in duality, it's non-existent. Everything's constantly in flow, like trying to expect the ocean to be still. There are parts of the ocean that look very flat compared to raging storms, but even those still calm waters in a bay or a pool still have little ripples. They're just smaller than the eye can perceive compared to three-foot waves or 20-foot waves. Everything in this is vibrating. So to find stability in a vibrating reality is like trying to be still when you're on the gravel path in a car. It's just moving through gravel. It's going up and down constantly. So yeah, you're going to feel really discombobulated. And I can't really soothe that, Tiffany. You're going to have to find that in yourself through trial and error. Like what does feel true to you? And what does feel like reality for you. Um, What I find for my own reality and my own trusting of my own inner voice is all the years that I've been using my inner voice, I have often found many things my inner voice says is not what my mind agrees about. So my mind won't like what my inner voice will say. All those years I was looking for a family and partner after my divorce and like before my peace about it all now, my inner voice would always say, what you really want is the truth of who you are. I would always say that. I'd say I want love and a partner and a family, inner voice, when's it going to happen? And it would always say back to me, what you really want is the truth of who you are, the truth of who you are. And I never liked that answer in my mind, but that is what my inner voice would always say. And so the fact that I always got these oftentimes conflicting answers from what my mind thought I wanted or what I believed in the mind to what my inner voice said, what I found is that even if my mind couldn't understand certain scenarios or the the trauma or the suffering levels on this reality that my inner voice could be understanding about or peaceful and compassionate about, even if my mind couldn't be, that I found very interesting because if my mind was making it all up as maybe what you're feeling, it's fake, that would, for me, if it was fake, my mind would have to be making up the peacefulness. But the fact, the reason I don't ever question is because my mind doesn't think it's peaceful or for so many years, my mind didn't think what my inner voice would say is right. So I, my mind wouldn't make up something that it didn't agree with. It wasn't believing it. 
Does that make sense? So like the fact that I heard something different than what my, I even remember one, I'll give you a fun one. So I remember this guy was dating in Detroit and I even did an episode, gosh, about him way back years ago because I was so convinced we were going to be together. And I looked at him in the bedroom one day. We were like planning our lives together from so long. We'd known each other since college, but we didn't date until I was single in you know, in this period a few years back. And I asked my inner voice, is he the one? And my inner voice said, and I was so shocked. It said, one of many right away. And I looked at him and I was like, there's no way. My mind heard the answer and literally threw it away. (laughs) I didn't believe it at all. And then two days later, we broke up. Two days later, we broke up. We had never had a disagreement in our lives. And then all of a sudden, two days later, we weren't even together. It was so incomprehensible to my mind, but was so actually true in my reality. So there's just so many things like that where my mind couldn't make that up because my mind didn't want to believe it and didn't want it to be true, but yet it did turn out to be true. There was nothing fake about that. So I think that for me, my own reality and lived experience of my inner voice proves itself to be true. It's not that my mind just took it on faith because if it made it up and faked it, it would have made up completely different things. What I've learned and grown from is how wise the inner voice was beyond what my mind thought at the time, which I couldn't have made up (laughs) because at the level of the mind, it would have made up something that it agreed with or believed, but it doesn't always believe or agree what the inner voice has to say. So for you, I think you're gonna have to go in your own journey of that, but I have a lot of compassion because trying to find stability when you're not willing to go inside of yourself to the place with you that is stable, that would be very hard. I wouldn't even know how to answer that other than it's going to be just a, a matter of time and and seeing what feels best and right for you. But you should definitely don't take it on anyone else's faith. You've got to find that truth in yourself and find what feels right for you and in you and for you. Um, for me, there's just a lot more ease, flow, alignment, and my reality is so much enhanced because of what I've done by not listening to my mind and going to this deeper place inside myself personally. Okay, so now we have Jacqueline Gordon who said, can you talk about your experience with surrender? Uh, I don't, it's a pretty broad uh, subject, um, but funny enough, I was having a call with a friend today and he had some bad news on a property that he wants to design for his potential future home or second home, that kind of thing. And it got rejected and the, the approval for the plan that he wanted to do. We were speaking about it, and I immediately wondered if it was a chance for him to surrender the the plan, the project, for many different factors, which are far beyond that specific uh, situation he dealt with today. And I realized how many times I've had to surrender things. So as you ask this question, it doesn't strike me at first glance as anything. It's so broad, I don't even know where to start. But I have to say that, yes, I have over the last seven years, especially, especially the last seven years, surrendered a lot. (laughs) And what my mind has wanted to create versus the flow my soul has chosen to go is definitely um, been mind-bending and at the same time liberating and freeing and more expansive than the life that the mind would have settled for earlier. So it's been consistent for me. It hasn't always been easy, but over the consistency, it's gotten easier. Over consistently having the choice to follow my inner voice and having the courage to do it. And ultimately, because of the trust that I spoke about, how wise it was and how consistently it kept guiding me when I followed it or even when I didn't follow it, that I just have gotten better at trusting from the mind and and going into that surrender. So now it feels like a strength. Um, So yeah, that's, I guess, it's a 
pretty broad question, but hopefully that's my answer to it in general. Uh, now we have Ash, who says, I'm so ready for the victim class. Oh, that's so good. I'm excited to work with you soon. See you in the class then. That's great. All right, now we have Emily Hardy Photography, who said, good morning. Jennifer's latest episode spoke so deeply to me. Thank you. Could you speak more on the subject of guilt and or resentment around family and close relationships and in reference to feeling like all others come before self. Thank you for all you do. I think this is a great Emily question that goes straight to this heart of this empowered class that we're going to be doing. So when you feel the subject of guilt or resentment around other people feeling like they all have to come before you, that's a victim story, like huge victim story. And that is something that you can undo and liberate yourself from. So obviously you can try to do your best with your beanbagging and your inner voice skills that you have right now. If you feel like joining the class, by all means, join us if you want to. Um, but in general, the idea of the story that we owe other people anything is not true. We can choose to be in service to our children or in service to our parents that are getting older, etc. But we don't need to be a victim to them. But when we feel like a victim to them, then we have this feeling of guilt or resentment show up. So if you're not wanting to put your whatever situation, like your kids or your, your ailing parents' health before yourself, you might feel guilty. And then you feel like a victim to, if I don't do this, then I'm going to feel guilt or resentful, obviously. And then you can feel guilty about feeling resentful <laughs> or resent because you're afraid of the guilt. Either way, all of this is something that comes from a limiting perception on the situation. And it doesn't mean the situation isn't what it is, like the children need help or care or the parents need help or care. But how we approach it, the potentials we choose from, how we feel energetically as we go into it, and the energy we hold and the emotions we're still holding on to in false sense of belief of control, guilt, or resentment, all of that can change. So, so the potentials that we enact in our reality and the energy we bring to all of our actions can completely transform. And I have had many experiences in myself recently, and like not in the last few weeks, but in the probably the last year, I've probably had, it's 222 as I say this, which is cute. Um, I would probably say I've had a good, almost under 10, but like a good solid, like six to 10 scenarios where I caught my victim story. And it took, a, sometimes it took a few days, to be honest, to get out of them. But it was fascinating because once I did, then the situations that I felt so trapped in, and I think a lot of times when you have these close relationship stories that you're speaking about with guilt and resentment of feeling like they come before yourself, kind of come to that feeling as well they just rearrange themselves. So many different outcomes. And actually some of them really turning over to my inner voice had completely different, my inner voice took completely different action than my mind ever, ever would have. So it was really liberating, but it, there was just so many more potentials than the ones that my mind clings to when it's sitting on a duality pendulum. So yeah, that's my kind of roundabout way of saying could you speak more on the subject? That's kind of what I have to say. Obviously, it's a mismatch of stories with limiting potentials, beanbags, and a lack of clarity from your inner voice that will help you undo all of that. And if it feels really tricky, like I said, sometimes it took a few days of inner voicing and clarity finding, not just like 
wham, bam, and I was done in an hour. Sometimes it was an hour, sometimes it was two or three days. But I've seen all of those situations that I felt so entangled in totally untangle, which is a huge gift to give myself overall. So I hope that you can find the same in yourself as well, or maybe join the class if that feels like a fun idea to do. Now we have Kia Cannons who said, hey, Bella, question for the show. What is your human design and do you live by it? Um, I believe, and I don't even know if this is true because I think I had a session in 2017, I believe, with somebody that I think did human design. And I think they said I was a manifesting generator. I don't even know what that means though. And I don't even 100% know if that's actually what they said I was. And so I certainly don't live by it. I obviously, if I am that, I'm sure I'm expressing things that are like it, but I wouldn't know that I'm doing it on purpose. I'm just being myself. So uh, I'm not doing it in any deliberate way because I don't really know anything about the stuff. I know it's a very popular modality and I know a lot of people enjoy it. And it got super popular right at the end of me going through a lot of the mental learning phase of things from the mind's perspective about the personality and about, you know, the mind and all that kind of stuff. And I was in the quantum mechanics, neurology stuff, like before I was the burnt yellow. By the time, if you remember the spiral dynamics episodes from a long time ago, and I talked about being a burnt yellow, by that point, I dropped a lot of these kinds of things. It doesn't mean they're not true and helpful. It just means that they're not definitive. And there's always going to be another human design. (laughs) There's the Enneagram, there's Myers-Briggs, there's something that's like Myers-Briggs, but it's simpler with colors. There's so many, there's astrology. There's so many ways to look at oneself. And it's not to say any of them are wrong or right. It's just that you could end up learning an endless number of ways of looking at things, even spiral dynamics. Like I don't deny the the Myers-Briggs or the spiral dynamics or the astrology that I am aware of. I just realized that I could endlessly be learning new ways of looking at personality like human design and what's gonna come after human design, et cetera, et cetera. So I just kind of, stopped while I felt like I knew what I wanted to know and just knew I'll never keep up with it all because it's going to keep refining and evolving as people keep looking at their personalities and their selves. So that's my answer on that one. Now we have Just Combining who said, yay, I applaud the urge to do the Q&A. Any new and exciting book suggestions currently? Hungry for Food for Thought and Evolution just for the excitement of it. I actually just did a episode of the show for the 10 books that changed my life the most over my journey. So if that is interesting, you haven't already caught it, I would go over there to take a listen to the books that impacted me the most over the years. Now we have Vladislava who said, hi, question for the Q&A. Is it possible to be chronically depressed from an inner voice perspective? Oh, she has a bunch of questions. So I'll start with that one. Is it possible to be chronically depressed from the inner voice perspective? Uh, The inner voice is not depressed, in my experience. The mind can be chronically depressed, but the inner voice part of anyone, no. That's never been from any of the inner voices I've ever worked with or my own ever been said that it's true. But the minds can get depressed, um, just not the inner voice part of someone. Uh, Hope versus faith and how to allow it into one's life. Um, Hope versus faith. Okay, so it's not really like they're against each other. So not hope versus faith. I would say faith is a deeper level of hope. Uh, So hope might be optimistically like, maybe it'll happen. That'd be great. And like, I hope I win the lottery versus having faith that you're going to win the lottery has a little bit more believing in that potential than hope does. So I would say that as far as the two go, one is like um, a lighter color of the same color. So it's like light yellow versus dark yellow or light blue versus dark blue. It's the same 
tone. It's the same kind of frequency, but one is deeper and stronger in belief than the other. So I'd say hope is less strong in belief than faith that something could happen. And how to allow them in your life, I would say that it's a little bit like a tennis shoe, uh, as I mentioned earlier, being dirty. Actually, this happened from an inner voice session I did years ago. We talked about trust. It's something that an inner voice comes up with in a lot of sessions. A lot of sessions, the word trust will come up in the inner voice. And the mind learning how to trust is a huge element of living between your mind and your inner voice, having both in your space and choosing to use your free will to follow. Which one do you choose? You have to trust the one you're, you're ultimately going to follow, the one you trust more. Do you trust your mind more or do you trust your inner voice more? You're going to probably most likely choose the most often to follow the one you trust more. I'm now at a place where I trust my inner voice more than my mind, but most people aren't there yet or are on the process of getting to that place. So when it came to trust though, it, the inner voice of this person showed through, I forget the words they said to explain this, but what I saw was as the inner voice was explaining it, the visual I got as they were explaining it was like trust is like a table with a bunch of objects on top of it. So at the core, the inner voice is that trust. And so everybody has trust. And so this would also apply, by the way, to the point of hope and faith. That's what I'm making the corollary to because they're ultimately hope and faith, even stronger than hope and stronger than faith is trust. And so that would be like potentially uh, for a potential trusting. And it could even be so trusting it doesn't need the hope or the faith that one potential would happen, but trust that the best potential will happen regardless of what specific outcome that is, is even stronger, stronger than hope or faith is trust. But I'd say they all kind of live on as the table, as the inner voice of this person said. And so how to allow them into your life, it's like, well, it already is the table. The only reason you don't see it is because there's stuff on top of the table and it's so cluttered with junk or emotional beanbags that it's hidden underneath and it feels like it's not there. Like you need to have trust or you have faith, but really it's the underpinning of everything that you are. It's just comes from this wisdom place and this pure consciousness that you are, these deeper aspects of the self, not the mind part or the emotional part, but these deeper aspects are at that frequency of hope, faith, trust. And so like a shoe being dirty, it's not about how do I make the shoe white? The shoe is white. It has dirt on top of it and you need to release the dirt to see the whiteness of the shoe. But even if the shoe looks brown on the outside from all the dirt that you've been walking through a field with, the shoe is still white. It just has dirt on top of the white or the table is still trusting. It just has stuff on top of the table. So you can't see the trust very clearly because there's a bunch of junk in the way. So does this make sense? So how to allow it in one's life is more about removing the dirt than it is about making yourself hope, faith, or trust anything. That is there when there's no trauma remaining on top of this. And this is something I've observed with all my clients over the years. People will have an area where there's a lot of distrust and lack of hope or faith really strongly. And then there's an area of their life that they're usually very trusting and have a lot of faith and hope and they don't even worry about it at all. Usually it's because they don't have beanbags in that area. So there just is trust. They don't even have to ask about questions on that subject that they're so trusting and confident about because there's never been a big fat story of emotional beanbags in the way. And then on the reverse side, anything that they have had a lot of struggles with and emotional turmoil with, they'll have a lot of deep lack of faith and trust and hope in those areas because of the beanbags in that area. So it's more about removing the dirt 
on top of the shoe. You don't make the shoe white. The shoe is white. The shoe is trust, hope, and faith. It's about removing what's not that. So I'd say beanbag release is the very simple answer to that one. And last, she asks, are there mistakes of not following the inner voice and living life not authentically as a result of not living to the inner voice? Um, Are there mistakes of not following the inner voice? I would say there are experiences. And sometimes we call those experiences mistakes if we don't follow the inner voice. It would just be like this. This is a kind of an Abraham Hicks type of thing to say. It's like there's you have a GPS and the GPS is telling you how to go to grandmother's house. Remember that song, how to over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. So the GPS might be telling you or the inner voice being your GPS might be telling you to turn right in the car, but you might turn left. And you could say that the left could have been a mistake because the GPS was guiding you right. But ultimately, there's nothing right or wrong. This is something that's really trippy. The inner voice always loves to point out. There's nothing right and nothing wrong. They don't. The inner voice doesn't judge from a place of right or wrong. It doesn't mean that people should kill other people. I'm not saying that the inner voice would say, that's great if everybody just goes ahead and does that. But they don't make things wrong, which is wild. They have so much compassion, the inner voices, for this experience that they don't judge it in a right or wrong way. They do know there's outcomes and karma. You could say there's um, after effects of the choices we make and the experiences we have because of the choices we make. But the Abraham analogy of this GPS, they always say, the GPS will just keep rerouting you. You can take whatever route you want to go. You can keep following the opposite of what the inner voice wants to say, and it'll just keep telling you to go the right way. It'll keep rerouting the map for you. You just still don't have to follow what it's saying, but it's still doing its best to guide you from the choices you've made. But I would say that instead of looking at them as mistakes, they're choices and experiences thereof. But what I find, and many of the people I've worked with, is that when they follow follow the inner voice, the experiences they have tend to go better. And when they don't follow the inner voice, the experiences and outcomes they have tend to get more muddled. And so you could call those muddled choices mistakes, but it wouldn't be the same way the inner voice would see it. They'd see it as experiences. And ultimately, even if those experiences lead to emotional trauma and beanbags, (laughs) eventually you release those and you have wisdom from the other side of them and compassion on the other side of them. So even if you get the shoes dirty, the shoes are never actually ultimately permanently dirty. All the dirt gets wiped off. All the beanbags go away in the ultimate time. There's no rush for the shoe in this lifetime to get completely clean. It has all the time it wants and all the lives it chooses to go through all the experiences or maybe mistakes of not following the inner voice. It wants to. There's no like stopwatch. This is not the big fat human race where everybody's racing to a finish line to become realized as fast as possible. There's just the freedom of expression and experiences as long as you want. And so there's, it's just a totally different way way of seeing things than the way the humans do in their minds and in their idea that they only live a certain amount of time and then they don't get any more experiences to have after that. They don't in that character lifetime, but they certainly, if you ask an inner voice, you ever not exist. Uh, Every inner voice says you always exist no matter what. So there's no rush basically, which is kind of exciting. So uh, do your best you can when you're in your journey and learn and observe, I guess. Learning and observing is a really great way of looking at this reality. 
Now we have Lena Mao who said, hi, Bella. I'm enjoying so much the beauty of life. Thanks for all the fantastic episodes. Question, when beanbag releasing, is it possible to locate a feeling in your body in two different places? I always hear you asking to locate the feelings in the body, but sometimes I feel in two different parts of my body and I wonder if this is somehow expected. Yes, it does not matter if you notice two places or even a lot of people ask if the beanbag feeling seems to be moving in my body from my chest to my belly or if it moves around as you're observing the energy, totally fine. Don't get in the way of worrying too much about it. If you feel it in two places, put your awareness in both places you're feeling it. If the energy seems to move, follow the energy moving. Just keep feeling and feeling and expressing, feeling and expressing, following the locations that you're feeling until they go to completion. That's the biggest thing. So two is fine. There's nothing wrong or right about any of it. You're just sensing where the energy is coming up for you in that moment. And they certainly can come up in different places at the same time, or they can come up and move around in your awareness in the body as well. Now we have Natalia who said, question for the podcast. I know your new welling and awarefulness classes have just started. How are they going so far? Lots of love. Oh, they've been so good. I'm loving these small group classes. It's so nice to be able to get to know everybody in these calls and work with them. And I'm very excited to have four months with them to really see the progression of their journey in our time together. Welling felt like a huge turning point in our community and also as a bit of humanity. Obviously, we've spoken even in this Q&A a lot about beanbags and cocoon phases where there's a lot of releasing. And what's cool about Welling is that the group's pretty familiar with beanbagging. A lot of people are in IVFT and have done a lot of work with us over the years. And so they've done a lot of releasing. And so now we're kind of feeling like, yeah, we've cleaned the shoes. Obviously dirt still comes up as we live in duality and we clean it off as we need. But now it's more like the fun time. Like what do we do now that we've cleaned the shoe? Where do we want to go? What do we want to do? So it feels like this really exciting beyond the releasing, beyond just the emotional cleaning process. What do we do now that we've cleaned the shoes? So it's really exciting and just a new frequency. And I'm just thrilled for everybody in the class. I actually have a call tonight with them as well to continue our work together. And awarefulness is so fun. I love doing that small group. They're just so fun. It's been great to be able to really break things down and speak more clearly than I've ever heard anyone speak about this stuff on the topic of awarefulness and going beyond the mind and pure consciousness and all that stuff from my own direct experiences. It's been so nice. It's really fun to see also the connections connecting for the people in their own lives to their own cosmic consciousness experiences and helping them understand what they have experienced already in a greater way so they can kind of tie it into what they have been hearing or learning about from others and also how to help them tap into that awareness in themselves and need a greater understandings through our lives. Like we're doing some experiences together. I'm guiding them through my experiments in helping them amplify their understanding and connection to their awareness. So it's going really well. So yeah, thank you so much for asking. And yeah, there you guys have it. Those are my questions for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, may something wonderful happen to you today. 